We give a very warm welcome to everyone to the evening worship today, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 143. It's the second version. It's page 439 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 6. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone, for thou wilt understand all my complaint and moan, my thirsting soul desires, and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires with rain, refreshed to be. Lord, let my prayer prevail, to answer it make speed, for lo, my spirit doth fail, hide not thy face in need, lest I be like to those that do in darkness sit, or him that downward goes into the dreadful pit. We'll sing verses 6 to 12 of Psalm 143. Lo, I do stretch my hands. Oh. 
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that we are gathered here this night. May we remember that this day is the one in seven separated from all the rest by you from the creation of this world. A day that reminds us that you are the great creating God. But a day that reminds us also that uh, we live in a fallen world but you have not left us to ourselves. This is a memorial day to your eternal Son coming into the flow of the human race and dwelling with us for these 33 years and ultimately dying at the place called Calvary. And we pray that as we look back we would remember these truths. But we remember also that this day looks forward to the eternal rest for the people of God when sin shall be no more and the pains and the pangs and the struggles of a pilgrimage that at times is so difficult will be over forever. We pray, O Lord, that uh, we will bear that in mind and keep that in view. And we pray, Lord, that we would remember the hope that you have given to us. At this time of year, when many minds are focused on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in the stable in Bethlehem these 2,022 years ago, we pray that we would remember that this child is Emmanuel, God with us. We have nothing in our lives to woo you with. We are sinners of the darkest hue. But we thank you that even in the midst of eternity, before there was ever an atom created, you had foreordained that uh, Christ would come and that the saving work of the Lord would be wrought in the hearts of people. We pray, O Lord, that as we gather here this night, that you would come in amongst us and help us. We realize that this act of worship will be sheer futility unless the Spirit is in our midst and unless we are guided by your truth in the way that we go about things. We thank you for many blessings as a congregation. We thank you for the many little children who have been born into this congregation in the last few months. Be a blessing to them all. Bless born and unborn remember all the youngsters born into a day and age that is so exceedingly difficult may we remember them in our prayers and may we seek to guide and help them as they go along life's journey remember others who are frail and uh, unwell we particularly remember our elder Ricky as he begins a course of chemotherapy be a blessing to him and his family and strengthen and encourage them all we pray O Lord that you would remember any of the congregation who are in difficulties right now and at the end of the day we are all in difficulties at one time or another may we remember to call out to you and may we 
um, be helped and guided by you. May we remember this, that uh, when you call people to yourself and we embrace you through faith, you become the rudder of our lives. And part of that is that you chasten us. You lead us in your way and sometimes we kick against that. But we pray that as we explore your word this night we would see from the history of other people that you caused them to endure hard times but at the end of the day it was all for their own good and ultimately all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord although there are days. And we ask you to forgive us for these days when we simply don't believe that. So be with us, we pray, this night, and be with our loved ones, wherever they might be. O Lord, our God, our earnest prayer is that we will all be together with you in the great beyond through having trusted in you as our own Saviour. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 62. Psalm number 62. And that's on page 294 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song. My soul with expectation depends on you indeed. My strength and my salvation doth from him alone uh, proceed. He only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defense. Much moved I shall not be. We'll sing verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 62. My soul with expectation depends on God indeed.
Uh, let's read God's Word, uh, first of all, in the book of Exodus and at chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read at the beginning. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. <clears throat> and he said, I am the God of your father, <clears throat> the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, whom who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, Hivis, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. And we'll read also in uh, the second epistle to the Corinthians and uh, <clears throat> at chapter 12, at the beginning of uh, the chapter. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a horn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not bound to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, 
am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did he not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the uh, impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practised. Amen. May God bless to us these readings from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that tonight, metaphorically, we would do what um, Moses did on the mountain. He took his shoes from off his feet, for the ground on which he stood was holy. And we understand that word holy to mean it was separated. It was other. And we realize it was separated and other because you were there. We pray that you would be in our midst this night and that we would have the reverence and godly fear that is due when we are in the presence of the eternal God. We feel like fleeing from you and from your sight so often. To hide from you. But there are no hiding places. None whatsoever. The only hiding place is Christ. And you and your mercy have provided Christ for us. May we remember that the babe in the manger in Bethlehem is the doing of the Lord. And it is wondrous in our eyes. We pray that there would be a commensurate response in our hearts this night to your kindness and graciousness towards us. And we pray that you would help us in all our need this night, both preacher and hearer alike, as we turn seeking to explore your word afresh once again. Come in amongst us and do us good. May we all be found under the shadow of your wing. Every one of our loved ones. Wherever they may be found this night. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 62, page 294 of the Psalter. And it's at verse 5. Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul, wait thou with patience upon thy God alone. 
On him dependeth all my hope and expectation. He only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defense. I shall not move be. Verses 5 to 8 of Psalm 62. My soul wait thou with patience. Psalms. I'm going to look at it in uh, the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 25, the first verse, and we'll read again at verse 12. Psalm 25, verse 12. What man is he that fears the Lord, and doth him serve? Him shall he teach the way that he shall choose, and still observe. Now let's by God's enabling seek to continue our study in this particular uh, song this evening to remind ourselves this is the psalm about how we are meant to be worshipping a God. It's got to be a soul worship. To thee I lift my soul. And we look back at the history of the Old Testament church and there were times when they were in that temple in Jerusalem the temple that God instructed they should build and the temple that God instructed them to worship him in when God is saying I don't want any more of this I just don't want any more were they religious? 
They were very religious. But the heart wasn't there. They were engaging in uh, all their rituals and all their sacrifices and all their, in inverted commas, worship. But it wasn't what God <coughs> was looking for. Because God was looking for the soul to be involved in that worship. Worship has got to be spiritual. But not only has it got to be spiritual, it's got to be guided by his book of truth, his revelation to us. We are not left to come up with our own ideas as far as the worship of God is concerned. That is the mistake that Cain made. Both Cain and Abel worshipped God. Abel worshipped God in God's own way. He listened to what God had to say. And he fell in with what God had to say. Cain did not. And Abel's is acceptable to God. Cain's is not. And you remember the problem that that caused. Cain was so jealous of his brother. And became so angry with his brother that he eventually slew him. And it was such an agony for the first family in this world. To, lo to lose a child is an incredible agony. And you know, I I'm, I'm saying these things. I don't know what it's like. When I am pastoring people who have lost their children, I have to say to them... I can sympathize with you, but I cannot empathize. And remember what the difference is between sympathy and empathy. If you're sympathizing with somebody, you're basically saying, I'm trying to imagine what you're going through. If you're empathizing with somebody, you can say to them, I know what you're going through. And in the loss of a child, I have to say, or in, in many other situations pastorally, I have to say, I, I can't fully enter into what you are, you are uh, enduring. But the loss of a child must be so, so hard to bear. But when it's another of your children that's caused the death of the child, it's just catastrophic. And you know when the devil was saying to, to them in the garden, go on, eat of the fruit. And you eat of the fruit and you're no longer going to be humans, you're going to be gods. And it all seems so attractive and it all seems so progressive. We're going to progress into something better. How much of a deceiver was the devil? He didn't tell them that they were going to bury their own flesh and blood who would succumb to the vengeance and the anger of another of their own flesh and blood. Sin is catastrophic. And the devil is a deceiver and the devil is a murderer. But uh, we are here tonight before a Christ who can not only sympathize with us, whatever our lot might be, but who can empathize. He has been, wherever any of us have been. And that's a tremendous consolation, that's a tremendous comfort eh, to us in the midst of difficulties and in the midst of struggles. But we are told here 
about someone fearing the Lord. Now, the Lord there in um, capital letters is Yahweh. And this Yahweh is the God who appears before Moses uh, with the theophany of the burning bush. Remember what a theophany is. It's just made up of two Greek words. One means God and the other means appearance. So it's a God appearance. And God appears before Moses. This bush is on fire. There's nothing unusual about that. But what was really unusual was the wood of the bush wasn't being burned up. That's what caught the attention of Moses. That is strange. And it brings him over to uh, the burning bush. And you remember what I was saying this morning? God does things that stand out. The virgin birth stands out. It's, it's not the normal way of uh, the procreation of children. It's God doing something to the human race whereby he's saying, look at this, come and explore this. And, and in exploring it, God's going to explain to them who he is, who they are, and what he's done about reconciling a holy God with, with, uh, with sinners. And this is the same Lord that's been spoken of here. And the psalmist speaks about fearing the Lord. Now the word fear in scripture is used in two different ways. One, it's a sense of terror. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now if you look at the context of that piece of scripture, it's talking about God's judgment. And people that fall into the judgment of God have every right to be terrorized. Have every right to be in terror. But there is another way that the word fear is used, our English word fear. And that is in in a sense of respecting, of reverencing God, of giving God his place. To stand in awe of God and to... Give him his place and acknowledge who he is. And we are being told in this area of scripture, what man is he that fears the Lord and doth him serve? And they go hand in hand. The man who really reverences God is the man who listens to what God has to say. And I use man in the generic sense. Men, women and children. The person who really fears God is the, or respects God is the person who has realized what God is really about. You know, we in our folly think that we have to sort out our lives so that we're good enough in order for God to be attracted towards us. And through that attraction for him to save us. We could not be further from the truth. That is the basis upon which every religion the world over operates. And you know, you look around this world and you think, no wonder people are confused. Because there are just so many religions around. Well, actually, there's only two religions around. 
Whatever shade or form or nuance any given religion has in this world, except for Christianity, it operates on this level. People are in bondage trying to get themselves sorted out so that whatever God they believe in is going to be impressed enough with them in order for them to be saved. And to enter into the heaven or, nar, or, or nirvana or whatever other way they want to describe the paradise that they have, they have in mind. It all operates on the basis of salvation by works. Except for Christianity. It's the reverse of it all. He stoops down into the murky waters of a fallen world. And he saves people in the mess they are in. And it isn't a case of 98% is going to be of God and I must put in my 2%. We've got to get rid of that kind of thinking. We contribute 0% to our salvation. Zero. That's the gift of God. This is what grace is. What does grace mean? Grace is the unmerited favour of God. What merit do we have this night? We've nothing. We have absolutely nothing. We've forfeited everything. In fact, it's not just that we're on neutral territory. We have mountains of provocation. Every last one of us, we have mountains of reasons why God should just wipe us away. But he comes with a hundred percent salvation to us. And he saves us in the murky mess of sinfulness that he finds us in. You know the notice on the board at the door says, come as you are. Well, I guess it's inviting people to come into this place of worship just as they are. They can't come any other way than as they are, really. But it's the same with God. We have to come to him as we are. And we come as sinners. Now, how are we going to respond to the enormity of the graciousness of God towards us? If we turn Christwards and we say to him, what do I do in in, in the light of this gift you've given me? And he just simply says, keep my commandments. And so every Christian is seeking to obey the commandments, not as a basis of salvation. Salvation is a gift. You've already got it by faith. This is to express thanks to God for his salvation and his graciousness. How do we get on with that? Well, this is where we want to bury our heads in shame because we are so pathetic in this kind of response so often but that's what the Christian wants to do and of course the apostle tells us that the moment you believe it's the beginning of a journey and it's a journey of of, of, of engaging in, a, in, in battle because there's something in you wants to do your own sinful selfish wayward things and there's something else in you that says no I need to honour this God and that's where the battle eh, lies and some days it is so some days it is just so exceedingly fierce but you know we have to remember this 
on the days that we fail and that's alas is every day but let's remember this where that battle is is proof that the life is there you know the devil will have you believe that that you've made a dreadful mistake that you're just too great a sinner that you're beyond the pale that you've, you've just got it all wrong no no you haven't no you haven't that agony of the battle that goes on in your experience is proof that the life is indeed there now I'm not saying that you live any single day or that I live any single day without sinning but remember what this relationship we have with God is about he caters for that sin as well we need to confess it if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness now if we don't take these scriptures and harbour them in our souls in our hearts and our minds we are going to be in real trouble we are going to be in real trouble this enemy of ours is so subtle and he is so devious do you know how Christ dealt with him when he was tempted by him 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? Do you know what Christ used as his defense? This book, the word of God. And he takes him to Deuteronomy again and again and again. How often do we go to Deuteronomy? But you know, I suppose I'm underlining and reiterating how important it is for the people of God to know what's in this book. Because the enemy is so fierce. And at times is just so uh, devastating. But this person who fears and respects God, there's something about this person. What is it about this person? Well, listen to what the psalmist says. The, what man is he that fears the Lord and doth him serve? You see, there's this desire in the heart of the individual who is a believer whereby you want to serve the Lord and let's remember this this serving of the Lord is not the basis of our salvation that's gift this serving of the Lord is an expression of thanks to God for saving us in our sins but the psalmist goes on to say him shall he teach the way that he shall choose and still observe. So this person is in relationship with God, who fears God, and who is seeking to serve God, he's going to be taught by God. Now, when we explored the verse, Show me thy ways, O Lord, one of the things that I highlighted when we did that verse was this. Sometimes we don't need to be shown the, God's ways. Sometimes we know them and the clarity with which we know them is just crystal, crystal clear. We know what the way of God is. But there's something in us some days that says, I'm just not going that way. I want to go my own way today. It's not a case that we need to be shown any. Sometimes we do. But on some days we don't need to be shown anything. We know what the way of God is. But the rebellious streak within us just says, No, no. 
I'm just going to throw the towel in as far as serving God today is concerned and I'm going to do my own thing. Well, that's what we do. But we pay a price for it. We do pay a price for it. We pay for that folly in the currency of tears. He brings hard things into our lives because of that way of proceeding. Why does he do that? Because he's a gracious God. And he is a loving God. And he only wants for us what is good for us. And what is honouring to his name. And the reason I have chosen that passage in Exodus tonight. And the other one in Corinthians is. I want to take as an example of God. Teaching. An Old Testament saint. And a New Testament saint. Teaching these people a particular way. Because that's what the psalmist says. Him shall he teach the way that he shall choose and still observe. Do you remember how it was with Moses after that burning bush experience? Do you think he was reluctant to do God's bidding? Well, we've just read the passage. He was exceedingly reluctant to do God's bidding. And you think, why? Why is he so reluctant? Because 40 years earlier, this man looked at the plight of the people of God in Egypt and he said, I'm going to do something about this. And do you remember what he did? He killed an Egyptian. And do you remember what comes hard on the heels of him killing the Egyptian? He's out into the Midian wilderness for the next 40 years. What was the problem with uh, Moses' desire to help the people of God? Nothing. Nothing. At one level. But here's where the problem lay. He tried to sort it out in his own strength. It was an ego trip he was on. Now let's remember this. When Moses was raised in the palace in Egypt, he was given the best education the world could afford anyone at that stage. He knew all about Egyptian history and he knew all about Egyptian academia. But he also knew about the history of his own people. And you wonder, how did he know? And I would hazard a guess and I would say that part of it was this. He learned it at his mother's knee. She knew her history and his father as well. But it was conveyed to him. In his, we don't really know how old Moses was when he went off Uh, to be educated in the palace but some people reckon about seven do you know what the Jesuits say they say give me a child until he's seven and we'll have him for life these formative years are just so 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 important here you have this Moses who's got the best education that the most powerful country in the world can afford you. He's got it all. 
but he chooses to suffer with the people of God instead that's saying something that is saying something and that is to be admired but he's still flawed he is still seriously flawed because he's concerned about the plight of the people of God and I'm going to sort it out and it ends in in a real mess just in a real mess and so he's off to the Midian wilderness for 40 more years and you think well it's all gone south it's all fallen apart or has it because you know what God did with him in these 40 years he had him, att- he had him attending animals and in what's involved in attending animals God trained him in such a way that he is now in a position to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and here is God this theonomy Theophany, this theophany interacting with Moses, and Moses is saying he's got every excuse under the sun. Why? What, what's? Why is he not not just jumping at it? Because he, he that's what he did the first time round. In forty years, God revealed to Moses what he was really like, and you know what? The egotism. And the self-centeredness has gone. It's gone. And let's remember this. In all the ups and downs and the twists and turns and bumps and bruises of life's journey. God doesn't leave his people. He uses everything to mold and fashion and to form them. So that they're the kind of individual that he can use to do his bidding. And he did use Moses to do his bidding because eventually Moses led them at least one and a half million people some people reckon it was up to three million people away from the clutches of the most powerful man on planet earth away out into the wilderness and they would have gone into the promised land but for another big problem occurring on the borders and that resulted in 40 years of wandering in the Sinai Peninsula but God's hand was on the hell. And I read that passage in Second Corinthians about the Apostle Paul because Paul was not just blessed with being an apostle. Paul was taken up into the third heavens. Now the word heaven in scripture is used in three different ways. Sometimes it means the atmosphere. Sometimes it means space where all the sun, moon and stars are. But the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. Now Paul didn't even know whether it was a bodily experience or an out of body experience. He simply did not know that. But he was in the third heaven with God. And there were things revealed to Paul in that context that were dangerous. Now now let me just qualify that. There was nothing dangerous about the content revealed to him. 
but it was dangerous in this sense he's still a flawed man he's still got an ego he's still got pride to struggle with and that's a reminder to us we all have these things and we'll battle with these faults and flaws till we draw our last breath But he had such things revealed to him that for him to speak about them to anybody else there was a great danger in that because he would get puffed up with pride. And so God did something about it. And what God did was he gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now we do not know what that thorn in the flesh was. There have been many, many suggestions. But at the end of the day, we really don't know. But one thing we do know, he was desperate to get rid of it. And he prayed to God about it, and God said no. And he was even more desperate to get rid of it, and God again said no. And he was even more desperate after that. And the third time round, God said no. But it's not just that God said no. God said my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you know what the most potent Christian in the world is really like? One who's on the deck. One who's completely flattened. One who's utterly empty. That's the most potent Christian in the world. Because they can't do anything in and of themselves and they realize that. And the only way they're going to be able to do anything is in the strength of somebody else. And that's what God's saying to Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Did the Apostle Paul like that kind of teaching? Well, there was a bit of him that just did not like it. Look, I want rid of this. And I'm sure we are all here, as believers tonight, who have things in our lives that we would so desperately be glad to be rid of. And it may be that we're not going to be rid of them on this side of eternity. And it may be that we're not going to be rid of them for a very specific reason, because God knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows that we need that thorn in the flesh to keep us where we are meant to be. This is the God who teaches us so that ultimately he molds and fashions and shapes us for our own good, although we don't see it that way at many a time, for our own good and indeed for the honour and the glory of his name. What man is he that fears the Lord and doth him serve? Him shall he teach the way that he shall choose and still observe. How do you know you're going to make heaven of it? You who are believers here tonight, how do you know? The person that says, I know what I'm made of. And I know that I can endure and I know I can do it in and of myself and I'll be there. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. 
But the person who comes in all their sins to a gracious God and who cries out, Lord, from the depths to thee I cry, my voice, Lord, do thou hear. He hears that and he saves them in the plight they are in. But that's not the end of it for God. God puts his hand on them. And God leads and guides and teaches. Does that mean life's going to be a bed of roses for somebody whom God is doing that for? Well, not if you look at the case of Moses. And not if you look at the case of the Apostle Paul. And indeed not if you look at the case of any of God's people throughout the history of this world. They all struggled. They all had to be moulded and fashioned and shaped and taught by this God. But that's my point. By this God. He doesn't begin a good work for it to fail. He begins it and he brings it to fruition. He is the author and he is the finisher. And he will have his hand on his people guiding and helping and teaching. In amongst the pain and pangs and tears of life's journey, he will still be there guiding until at last he sees something that is dear in his sight. And what is dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Amen. Let's join together in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you are who you are and you do what you do because we know who we are and we know what we cannot do. We pray that you'd be with us as we leave this place. Protect us and guide us and enable us, we pray, to go on fearing you and to go on serving you, even amongst the struggles of life's journey and the struggles of who we are in and of ourselves. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue singing in this song, Psalm 62. And it's at verse... Uh, 9, that's page 295 of the Psalter, Psalm 62 at verse 9. Surely mean men are vanity, and great men are a lie. In balance laid they wholly are more light than vanity. Trust ye not in oppression, and robbery be not vain. On wealth set not your hearts when as increased is your gain. We'll sing 9, verses 9 to 12. Surely mean men are vanity.
may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore. Amen.